Hello and welcome to Mad About, Mad About You, the Mad About You recap show. That's what we're doing here. It's happening again. Can you even believe it? My name's Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. Welcome back. Or welcome, if this is the first time that you're here joining us. It's yeah. good to have you. Unless, though... <laughs> What, I'm, unless they're jerks, then no, you're not, you don't want to know, I'm sorry, I'm always criticizing our listeners. This isn't a criticism, this is just advice. Unless this is like your favorite episode, which it might be, I would go your back to- Your favorite episode of the show? Yeah, of Mad About You. I would go mm. back maybe to episode one and start there if you're interested in listening, you know? Don't judge. Don't tell them how to enjoy it. You know what? That's, their lives. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. It's just a little friendly advice. Audience, listeners, rise guys, rise gals, you do you. You know what? Do whatever you want. Do what you want. <laughs> I guess Mad About You doesn't have a plot. So with West Wing Weekly, you would start at one. Yes. And Mad About Mad About You, you would start at the beginning because we're at the beginning. What does that mean? It means they're probably not going to just be like, oh, they're five episodes <laughs> in. I'm going to start on, I'm going to listen to episode four. See if I really love it, and then work my way back to episode one. No, you're going to start from the beginning. Yeah, probably. But, no, we live in a timeless podcast exists beyond time. Do you understand what you're, you're saying? Right. You're assuming this person's wa- listening to the. I almost said watching, listening to this the day it drops, but they could be listening. We could be talking to someone now who's listening to this after we've already recorded like the hundredth episode of this podcast. They could be listening to this after we're dead. If you're listening to this after we're dead, <laughs> go to my Facebook and make sure there's nothing crazy on it. <laughs> Help John out. Yeah, do me that favor. How you doing, John? You good? Yeah, I'm great. Good. How are you? I'm also good. Good times, good week. And a good episode of Mad About You. Indeed. A very good one. One I think about also a lot. Yeah? Absolutely. We'll talk more about it. In just a little bit. The episode title, we're on season one, episode six. Episode is called, I'm Just So Happy For You, which is their first passive-aggressive title. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Which I get a real kick out of. I said it with a little snark, but if you're really saying this right, it's, I'm just so happy for you. It is hard to say sincerely. Yeah. And it's not meant to be said sincerely. (laughs) It is not a sincere title. (laughs) Right. No, that's a that's a great observation, Russ. I'm a great observationalist. You know, you ever hear about this? I don't know if any of this is true, but a friend of mine told me that I think Martin Short used to have parties, or probably still does, <laughs> and they would play a game around the dinner table where they would have to pantomime sipping coffee or maybe really drink it. I don't remember. But the point is, after it, they would have to say, mmm, this coffee tastes delicious. As realistically as possible. <laughs> and it's impossible to do. There's just something about it that you just you can't do it. And it's very funny oh. to watch people try to do it. But it's like just this be, phrase, the intention is locked. Or like 
I like that a lot. Yeah. It's almost like the language is driving the, the voice. You know what I mean? Yes. You're in the back seat when you start saying that thing. <laughs> I love that game idea. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. I think it's Martin Short. I love it the term a backseat phrase. A backseat. A backseat phrase. Explain it to me. A backseat phrase is a phrase uh, wherein you only have so much control over how it comes off. Like, no matter how you say it or what spin you put on it, the meaning is pretty clear just from the words you're saying. Much like riding in the backseat. In that you have no control. Okay. I love it. You're a passenger on that sentence or phrase or word. A passenger phrase? No, a backseat phrase. (laughs) Fine. Yeah, no. Fine. (laughs) Make your own term. It's never going to take off, but fine. Well, listeners, tweet at us. Let us know which one you like more. Mm Mm-hmm. Hashtag passengers. Team passengers. No, hashtag backseat. Team backseat. Yeah. We're in a fight now. Oh, that's how you vote. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah, I don't care how you put your vote in. Just let us know. (laughs) Oh, man. So this episode premiered on October 28th, 1992. Yeah. Yes, it did. Wow. Long time ago. Do you have, was there a TV guide guide? review? blurb there is always a tv guide blurb this one is very short too bravo okay whoever wrote these back in the day did a phenomenal job summarizing these episodes we should try to get them on the show and i'm not really kidding i would love to talk to a tv guide (laughs) recapper yeah if they tried to do a recap podcast it would take two seconds (laughs) paul strikes out with his baseball film the same day jamie scores a success nailed it Bravo. What's brilliant is it's so simplistic, too. Like, it sounds so simple, but if I had to summarize this episode, I'd be sitting there all day. John, that's exactly what we're about to do. I guess it is. It would take me at least... <laughs> it would take me at least an hour Yeah, with a friend. Yeah. yeah. We have a long show. <laughs> yeah, the TV guide every week would have been the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> oh, my goodness, John. I'm so excited about what was on television this yeah, night. Yeah, well, people came home. It was October, three days till Halloween. Mm-hmm. They're sewing their kids' costumes and curling up around a fire to watch a little TV on a cold winter night. Yeah. Or really autumn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me give a little plug. I get all of my TV schedules from TVTango.com. TV Tango, the number one source for antiquated TV lineups. It's great. Check it out. It's the best. So check that out. If you're hosting a podcast or starting a podcast that deals Mm -hmm. with television from the past, you need information on what that day. They talk about it the way you would advertise for normal people, which is just like, see what was on television on your birthday. And it's just like, ah, that's a practical thing that you could do. Or if you're a cop or a lawyer and you're trying to figure out the veracity of a witness's testimony. And one of their alibis is a television show, and uh, you can check and see if they got the lineup wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's exa- what if, I would love to see somebody crack. <laughs> under the, I went to tvtango.com. You said you were watching Cheers. <laughs> Let the record show. All right, I did it. <laughs> I, oh, man. Okay, so holy moly. Speaking of cops, John. <gasps> no. Well, look, no, whatever, whatever I'm about to say is not what you are making sounds about. Okay. It couldn't be. Because at eight o'clock on CBS, there was a show called The Hat Squad. (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) 
is it from the time you had to make up a joke on the squad on, on the fly <laughs> and just came up with the nonsense phrase the hat squad was it a drama it was a crime drama and here is the summary from wikipedia police officer mark ragland and his wife kitty have adopted the boys whose parents' lives were taken by violence. Having been told of hat squads of the past, the boys grow up to be an elite police unit called the Hat Squad, dressed in street clothes and fedoras. There's Buddy, whose father died while Buddy was young, Raphael, who doesn't carry a firearm, and uses... A wide array of methods to subdue criminals. And Maddie, who is studying to become a lawyer. Wait. This was a television show. What? Hold on. So the main characters <laughs> are the squad. Mark and Kitty have nothing to do with the squad, right? They're just the parents. They're of... a red herring. Yes. Yeah, they are. The, yeah. Even in the description of the show, they're a red herring. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're incidental. Yes. So it's about the two Batmans. Three Batmen. Three Batmen yep. and their friends. And maybe it's real, but it's hard to believe. But the show just, they're like, oh, if we just mention that there's a history of hat, <laughs> of hat squads, yeah. then yeah. everyone will buy this one. You remember there was a hat squad? Those cool hat squads? Well, in that, We should be a hat squad. And in that description, it made me wonder if they were real. What do you think of when you think of a hat squad? My gut? Yeah. First thought? Mm-hmm. A small team of people of like theater ushers who work like the coat and hat check, <laughs> <laughs> who go searching for missing uh, accessories. Is it a comedy? Oh, this is just a real life situation. I was envisioning, not a show. <laughs> it's a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. See, I mine is an animated feature. Uh huh. With anthropomorphic hats. Oh, sure. And there's a fez. And there's oh, a 10 gallon yeah, hat. That's good. Oh, that's so. Honestly, Russ, that's actually a great idea. And there's a beret. And guess where she comes from? England. Come on. Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's real snooty like that. Yeah, you got a French dame, a mm -hmm. cowboy, and a, uh, mm -hmm. a Turk. It practically writes yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it might do a little bit better than the actual Hat Squad did because that thing lasted one season and only 11 of the 13 filmed episodes aired. Where do they all hang? What do you mean? The hats. Because you don't find those hats together really very often. Hats are actually very segregated, even in a hat store. <laughs> Is this going to become your cause? No. I got too many right now. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, and that's created by the guy who did the A-Team and the Rockford Files, by no the way. No kidding. Yeah. So he's really yeah, into yeah, yeah. squads. Really? Yeah. yeah he's a real squad head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you watch that at 8. You love it. 9 o'clock, Seinfeld. 9.30, Mad About You. 10 o'clock, NBC. This is Michael Bolton. What was that? Just a documentary or something? It's a feature. It's a concert film, I think. Ah, uh, okay. Very cool. Live? No. Probably live. Probably really. You know, behind the scenes things. Yeah. What an event. Yeah, that's very fun. He's in the news again right now because he just came out on Netflix with yes 
is it called the Big Sexy Valentine's Day Show? Couldn't tell Something you what like it was that. called yeah. at all. Yeah, by uh, Akiva from The Lonely Island and Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, so created, it's funny. Directed it. It's funny. Yes, and gotcha, he's very gotcha. self. Now he is very self aware. But I was reading things from back then, and they were just like they ask him, "Hey, so you take some pretty intense criticism." Does that hurt? And he's like, yeah, it hurts because, you know, I think I'm pretty great at this. And there are a whole bunch of other schmoes who get up there and they just do whatever the hell they want. They suck. And they get all this stuff and I get yelled at. <laughs> and you know what? If they don't like what I do, they can just. And then he like walks away. <laughs> uh, he literally says like Donald Trump. Yeah, you're not wrong. Oh. But wait, he was a joke always? No, I thought he was like. Uh... He was a mystery sex symbol, kind of like. Oh, really? M- moms thought he was cute. Well, moms were young women one once. Yeah, but I'm not talking about like as we were I, young men. I'm not saying yeah, but I'm now not. We're dad ages almost. No, not almost, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are you going to say? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if my oh, speech gets fuzzy, it's because there's a revolver in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. So if you're gosh. listening to this after I'm dead, yeah. go to my Facebook. This is it. This is it. <laughs> we said it could happen and it's happening. Uh, oh my god. Wait, gosh. sorry, what were you gonna say though? No, I was just gonna read real quick from the Baltimore Sun. There's a feature article. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of research on these guys. No, great. After that I'll be reading from the Nebraska Picayune. So hey. you go first. So here's what the dude said from the Baltimore Sun. Michael Bolton's hair has been compared to shredded wheat. And his singing style to that of a man held fast in the grip of a newly acquired hernia. Oh my gosh! When was that? Was from the nineties? That was from the nineties. That was from that was from the review of this special. Oh man! I forgot to read the review of the Hat Squad. If you'd like oh, to hear that, great. Yes, yes. Yeah. Entertainment Weekly. It began. Years from now, the strapping young men who comprise the Hat Squad will look back and be grateful that their fedoras disguised half their faces. This lid-obsessed crime drama gives new meaning to the term over-the-top. Oh, that review is as corny as the show sounds. You're you're not wrong. Not to mention the fact, I'm like, how are they wearing... The fedoras disguise half their faces. How are they wearing these fedoras? Very, like Carmen Sandiego style. I guess so. Yeah. Oh, they had very narrow heads, too. Oh, man. Oh, to be in a hat squad, you need a narrow head. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Wait, was there an Unsolved Mysteries? It sounds like NBC shook their night up because they got Michael Bolton instead of Law & Order. That's true. I'm not positive if there was an Unsolved Mysteries. I will look back into getting Unsolved Mysteries back into the swing of things next week. No, that's okay. If, if you want to make that a feature, we can make that a feature. No, I was just I don't just I curious. literally don't care. Yeah, okay. I was curious. That is sort of a fun feature though, isn't it? Reliving those mysteries? I don't disagree. Yeah. Tell you what, tweet at us. Yeah. If you want to yeah, tweet whatever you want actually. Yeah. <laughs> You'll figure out what you want to talk about. You know what? Tweet at us if you think we should give up on this podcast and just start recapping the hat squad. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it won't take long. No. What'd you For say? Fifteen episodes? Thirteen. Eleven aired. Oh. What if it was that 12th one that really would have saved the show? I'll bet it was. <laughs> Where they get rid of their hats and just become normal cops. <laughs> the squad. Yeah. <laughs> or they run into a whole bunch of monsters and, well, you know how that ends up. No. What are you talking about? They turn up the, the monster squad. What's that? Oh, that's another podcast altogether. Great 
fun horror movie from the early 90s late 80s with uh, a bunch of kids and they team up with or they have to avoid and then befriend like the wolfman and dracula and creature from the black oh yeah i could see i bet a bunch of people love that movie oh yeah and they have to sacrifice a virgin and they say virgin all the time and i didn't know what a virgin was at the time and i was all right because i was a kid right i can't even say that's where i learned what a virgin was it was just like that's where i heard the word virgin and didn't understand it for 90 minutes (laughs) yeah and then many 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 years later it clicked yeah (laughs) yeah i was talking with friends and somebody said 40 year old virgin yeah somebody said somebody said she's a virgin and i yelled out oh like monster squad really (laughs) no and they were like you're one too you're one That is such an old, like, we don't make those jokes anymore, I think, which is, like, great. I'm so sick of those. You remember? Which, what kind of jokes? Maybe it's just teenage things, and maybe they still make those jokes in teenage movies. I don't know. Like, I don't oh, know what, what kind are you of virgin? Oh, what are you, you a virgin? virgin? Yeah. Oh, he likes computers. He's a virgin. Yeah, that, I think that was a television thing and a movie thing. Yeah, so media? <laughs> yeah, but not, like, an actual people Oh, like, no, absolutely. Think... Yeah, pop culture thing. Although... But I'm glad it's may- over. And maybe I'm wrong about this, and I hope I'm wrong about this. I probably shouldn't say anything at all. Maybe this is a thing that girls do, that women do to each other. She's a virgin. She's not a virgin. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. <laughs> it's always guys making that joke in movies. Oh, I know. I'm saying guys make it in movies. And in reality, maybe women do. Do you have I evidence? No, I do not. <laughs> You're just levying uh, charges? Yeah, I'm just speculating <laughs> and uh, and getting myself into trouble on the internet. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I think you just lost. I think you just lost the contest between passenger phrase and backseat phrase. <laughs> oh my God, John, what happened in the news? Okay, so like... I've started, I've changed my approach. I don't just look at the raw news now. I really, uh, I start searching for terms like murder, <laughs> subway, parking. Is it for the same time? Is it for the week or the day or, or oh, just yeah. in general? Yeah, no, I'm just, I decided yeah. to open it up to any newspaper anywhere in the world <laughs> from any period of time. So it looks like in 1908, there was... <laughs> No, there was so there. Did you this, hear about this President Kennedy? <laughs> well, there was this crazy. It's like a movie. There was a gang that the, the police described as crash and carry, and they did this from the time they were teens until their early thirties, and they got caught. You know, I guess in 1992, this week, I guess they would drive a truck through the front of a store, like a jewelry store or an art gallery, like in Soho. You know, somewhere nice. Grab everything and bolt. Wow. It's just so like blunt force. Yeah. And it's so smart. It was like a bomb hit the store, said Maria Catalot. Oh, boy. Whew. Maria Catalanati yesterday. Miss Cat. Oh, come on, New York Times. <laughs> she, a vice president <laughs> at Jindo Furs, described the 88 robbery at the store on 3rd Avenue and 60th. She said they drove the truck right through the window and knocked down an inner gate that we had put up inside the window. Then they took 75 to 80 furs and drove off. John, when are you going to be back in New York? A few months, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to go? We have to drive a truck through this building. We have to do it again. No matter what it is now? <laughs> yeah. We have to and just if be like... If it's a doggy daycare, we're still... Yeah. We do yeah, this okay. whole thing. We steal everything. 
And as we're driving around, we just yell, mad about, mad about you. <laughs> yeah. Again, if you're listening to this after we're dead, please. <laughs> this is so, the names in these, this article are impossible. Anton, oh, Antonovich. Okay, it's not that bad. You got there. Yeah, they snatched more for, they made off with two, a quarter of a million dollars in furs. They not did the same bad. thing at an art wow. gallery in Soho. They broke in at 4 a.m. Again, a quarter of a million dollars in Leroy Neiman prints and originals. I don't know who he is. Painter, I believe, yeah. Oh, you know his name? Yeah. That's pretty good. There are all these guys in their 30s from Queens. That could have been what Entourage was about. <laughs> now, I don't know if you recall this, Russ, because we did record the last episode a little over a week ago. But mm -hmm. last we talked about the news, there were some mob hits in your neighborhood. Right, yes. Well, now there's just a very, very long article about all the mob activity in your neighborhood. <laughs> oh, no. But one, this was such a great quote. So I don't know if you recall, but the last week the episode aired, there were two hits right in your hood, right? Two, right, two guys yes. got shot in the head in their car. Yes. And this is the pull quote from this 28-year-old woman named Lori Gelly. We don't like dead bodies with holes in their heads turning up in front of our homes. <laughs> I think I get where she's coming from. We're then New Yorkers. Goes, we take a strong, firm stance against such things. <laughs> yeah, I guess some issues are black and white. Oh, my God. She goes, but in a way, the mafia keeps the neighborhood safe. Stop there are it. half as many burglaries here as in other places, so their presence is kind of good because they give a kind of fear to other people. I guess by putting holes in people's heads and dropping their bodies off in the middle of the road. John, you enunciated that whole thing all wrong. The first part is the caveat. Now look, we don't like dead bodies with bullets right. in our heads. No, you know what, though? But You're right. You're right. I know. This is an example of a driver's seat phrase. <laughs> because as you saw, Russ and I both have very different driving styles with the same car, if you will. Oh, my God. But so the Colombo family's having turmoil and they're just there's so many. Most victims in the violence were low ranking mobsters, but some have been innocent bystanders. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, this one's sad. Oh, she was injured, though. Thank God she didn't die. A four year old girl. I'm sorry. Everyone's waiting for me to read that to myself. Yeah. Keep uh, reading yourself. An 18-year-old cashier was gunned down behind the counter of a... Oh, do you know any of these places? I wonder if they're still open in your hood. Wanna Bagel on 3rd no. Avenue in Bay Ridge? No. Well, their cashier was killed. What about <laughs> v the Venus 2 Diner on 4th Avenue? Those are a little bit outside of my hood. Well, that's but, uh, good. Still general, general, yeah. Their night manager was shot down, uh, gunned down too. Man, oh man. A lot of business owners. I mean, it's like... Uh, you remember that uh, the guy who uh, owns Spamoni Gardens got... Hit by the mob uh, last year, right? I do not recall, but that sounds like a thing that could have happened. Over a sauce recipe. It's a good recipe. <laughs> yeah, if you had their sauce, it's and unbelievable. John, it's a gravy recipe, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you live in New Jersey. <laughs> Turmoil in the Dickens campaign. What's going on? Yeah. That's something I've been searching because I, I think we all want to follow mayoral. Go ahead. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so what do they call him? Not the vice mayor, the deputy mayor. Mm -hmm. The deputy mayor. This name rang a bell and I didn't know why. Do you recognize the name Randy Daniels? No. Okay. 
I asked you to repeat that because the phone got a little fuzzy, and I wasn't sure if you said Randy Daniels or Randy Danielson. John, I don't know anybody with either name, so I don't know why I asked you to <coughs> clarify. Well, because maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, charges came out this week, <laughs> back then, that he sexually harassed a coworker five years prior, so in 1987, at his old job. Oh, no. Uh, and there was turmoil all week because Dinkins was trying to figure out how to handle the situation. And mm-hmm. I'm sure with a little pressure behind the scenes, Mr. Daniels resigned. Wow. Yeah. So the vice mayor stepped down or the what is it? Deputy, deputy deputy and his mayor. wife is suing the woman who made the allegations and calling her a liar. And his wife's name was Huma Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's all the same issues that we still nothing changes. Yeah. Just shuffling the cards. Shuffling the, the whole cards. articles about unproved allegations, blah, 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 blah. Like the old company where he was accused of anything didn't do anything because the woman who accused him didn't want to press formal charges. So then Jeez. the boss was like, oh, then I guess we're good. Well, then nothing. Yeah. Well, then I guess nothing. Well, then nothing happened. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Man. So listen, I try to bring the fun news, but you know... <laughs> The world is a complicated, brutal place. Speaking of which, Amy Fisher. Yeah. Oh, what's up with her? I don't know if you remember this. This guy named Joey Buttafuoco. Joey, who's that now? Joey Buttafuoco and okay. Amy Fisher had this affair. Interesting. And, well, I don't know if you you probably all remember all of this, but apparently the DA decided not to bring charges against Joey Buttafuoco. He got away with it. I did not realize that. I thought he got something. They said she wasn't a credible witness, Amy Fisher. They were like, we can't believe her. She's lied before. She's, you know, isn't that brutal? She said she slept with Mr. Buttafuoco when she was 16 and that he played a part in the shooting of Mrs. Buttafuoco. I forgot all about, I did not realize that that's the way that ended. Yeah. yeah, Joey said that neither one of those things is true. I'll say super quick. Please. First of all, I was reminded by a friend of mine recently that Mary Jo Buttafuoco, you may, have you come across that name? Yeah, I don't know yes, if you've mentioned that's it his on wife, the podcast. Right? His wife, yes. After Amy shot her yeah. in the head, she had nerve damage and she oh, but she no. also continued to say, I love Joey and Joey loves me. Like she wow. stood by her man. It was crazy. It was crazy. And wow. um Yeah. It was really nuts. And so the other night I was talking to Jen, my girlfriend, about the Amy Fisher case and about Joey Buttafuoco and like all of this stuff happened 15 minutes from where I live growing up. Are you serious? Yeah. This was all right next door. This is all Long Island stuff. His auto body shop was two towns over. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And now you live where there used to be mob activity, hardcore. Yeah. You're like the Zelig of very local news. <laughs> I'm the zealot of, yeah, of... Of of local horrors. (laughs) Horrors. Oh. So, what do you think? Should we talk about a television show or not so much? No, no, I got one more story. Oh, this one's great. This one's great. Well, here's... Okay, well, here's another little one. Like, 48 people got hurt in a Lincoln Tunnel bus crash, which is my nightmare. Apparently, it happens sometimes. Oh, God. It's just one bus rear-ended another bus, which rear-ended another bus. Oh, God. And it backed up traffic for over an hour and a half, which was surprisingly short to me, quite honestly. Frankly, I thought that's what the traffic normally was in the Lincoln Tunnel. 
<laughs> oh, that's good. Boom. Food stamps used and scammed to sell meat. Food stamps used and scammed to sell meat. Food stamps used and scammed to sell meat. Food stamps used and scams to sell meat. Food stamps used and scams to sell meat. Yeah. Let's get somebody to put a beat under that. (laughs) Someone tweeted us a beat. The federal (laughs) authorities asserted yesterday that they had uncovered the nation's largest food stamp fraud through a sham retail meat market in Brooklyn that illegally redeemed $43 million in stamps in less than two years. Did I just detect a little bit of personal judgment and blame in the word Brooklyn? Like this was somehow my fault? Or am I projecting that? (laughs) You were completely projecting that. (laughs) The Puelo Company established a bogus retail meat store in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. (laughs) And redeemed the stamps from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which supervises the food stamp program. Can you believe this? I cannot. The only defendant named in the suit was Felix Puello, the owner of Puello Meats and Produce on 183 Remsen Ave near East 53rd Street. We got to drive a truck through there to steal those food stamps. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> this plan is coming together in real time. Uh, can you believe that? The $43 million? That's crazy. Jesus. What would you get with $43 million in food stamps? Oh, boy. I mean, honestly, probably a lot of meat. It's a lot of cereal. Oh, uh, it's a lot of cereal. It's That's a lot true. Of cereal. You know what, Russ? I think I would give mine away. Oh well, now I look like a real <laughs> jerk. No, I think I would give mine away. <laughs> but no, whatever you choose to do it. with your your cut of the forty three million is fine. <laughs> I think I would give mine away though. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So That's the news I got. That's the news. I love it. All righty. So, all of this happened outside of the world of Mad About You. <laughs> Inside of the all world of, this of happened Mad About the week, You. The week before, people tuned in to watch this episode, you know? That's true. So that's, yeah, we've set the scene. Yes, the, like, greater scene. The existential... Families are talking, wow, $43 million in food stamps. That's or crazy. can you believe this Amy Fisher or Randy oh Daniels is such gosh. a pig? Someone then- ought to get the hat squad out after Joey <laughs> Botafuco. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, Michael Bolton's on tonight. I just need to laugh. Bingo. Well, this episode, we got Barnett Kelman back. He's back. You know what I was thinking, though? As we point out the director's... I don't know if I could if I notice any difference between <laughs> between no. so but we'll keep doing it. There's an episode a few seasons down the road. Mm-hmm. The famous one. It's all one shot. Ah, uh, yes, I've never Can you believe I've never seen it? Oh, it's a good one. I'm but like sure. that's an episode that's worth pointing out the director. Everything else is just like, yeah, it's a three-camera sitcom or four-camera sitcom. There we go. Point and shoot. I think it's a little more complicated than that, Russ, don't you? I think I think you're probably right. Uh, you know Desi Arnaz invented this. I believe it. I was at the Old Hollywood Museum this weekend. So they have a Lucy room, and cool. they talk about how he invented the three-camera. Because before that, was just like a camera. Yeah. Aimed at a stage. Right. And he said, we could get three shots at once. So then Desi Lu had to invent a machine where they could edit three reels at once. And they called it the three-headed monster. 
and it took three reels in at the same time and had three monitors next to each other and had three pedals under each one so you could stop any of them, cut the film, and put it into your master. Well, that's amazing. Isn't that something? But uh, in That's my what head, my Monster Squad is about. <laughs> it's a good one. I'd watch that. In my head, all three reels just played at real time and you couldn't slow them or stop them or anything. And you just had to yell. Just like, one, three, three, one, no, two. No, yeah, I, one, think, I think that's one. probably I, true. Yeah, but they had to just like cut as they went and it's just like you got 22 oh, right. sure, sure, you got sure. 30 minutes to make this edit happen and i mean that's what broadcasters stop. do yeah that's true yeah i love oh. watching the don't you just love that scene in anything yeah it's unbelievable i don't know how people do that sports and uh, stuff forget it sports forget it i don't know it's nuts oh it must be such a rush to be a part of a team filming a sporting event <laughs> yeah i'm sure because you got Exhausting. your guys on the ground looking for interesting things to shoot. Then you got your guys in the truck figuring out what to air. Oh, you got your guys in the stand selling peanuts. <laughs> speaking of, oh, funny hey, you should mention speaking that. Speaking of. So this uh, episode was written by Billy Grundfest, who is going to be with us for a long time. Great. And let's see how long we can go without making fun of his name. Um, uh, I, I, I guess not long. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is a tricky name because it seems like easy to make fun of, but I can't think of one thing. Oh, I just like the idea of having a Grundfest, you know? What is that? If you don't know, buddy. <laughs> he also wrote on a lot of Emmys. So, uh, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, if you all remember those. <laughs> yeah, so the cold open, they're in the living room. Mm-hmm. It's night. Jamie's working on her laptop. Mm-hmm. And Paul is just going on and on about the subject of his new documentary. So this guy was there, you know, in 1939, he was in the stands selling peanuts. On Lou Gehrig Day, he was there. I mean, that, you know Lou Gehrig, right? Gary Cooper, pride of the Yankees. So he, this guy, Vacky, I mean, is that a name, right? Vacky. I never heard a name like that. He, he's been a peanut vendor in Yankee Stadium since he's 15. I mean, he's got stories that'll just kill you. She's trying to show her and she's not listening, but it's basically just sort of medium shots of this old guy talking about selling peanuts. He's been in a million things. This old guy, for those of you who don't know, is a brilliant character actor named Phil Leeds. Yeah. You would recognize him in a second. For sure. What's your go-to memory of him? This is embarrassing, but I can't think of, like, I cannot think of one. I just know that I see him in everything all the time. Oh, mine is he was a judge on Ally McBeal. Who's your little friend? Excuse me? Your Honor, Ally McBeal's an associate at my firm. Uh Is she a good lawyer? Very let me see your teeth. I beg your pardon? Hygiene is important to this court. Show me your teeth. Okay. Court costs and you owe me. Have them work out a schedule with probation. I'll see you later. Case dismissed. Next. Okay. I was not an Ally McBeal fan. Oh, you missed out, buddy. Yeah. I heard there was a dancing baby. In one episode, I think, or like two, maybe. It's so <laughs> overblown, that baby. <laughs> Senior year of high school, we used to rent Ally McBeal tapes because they were available and watch an episode <laughs> in the English teacher's that. room. That was a really dorky club. What was it called? It didn't have a name. It was just five people casually. It was called five people casually rent Ally McBeal and watch <laughs> one a day. That's all. An Ally a day? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Keeps the lawsuit away. 
<laughs> so here's what's interesting. So I pulled up his obituary, which we could post or something when this thing airs, because it is an interesting read. It, it's surprisingly short, though. But weirdly, it says, Mr. Lee's rumpled face, quote, I'm not pretty, but I'm warm and feisty, he told an interviewer, was a familiar one to television viewers. Indeed, in sure. May, and this would be when he died in 1998, so six years after the show. Indeed, in May, he appeared in the final episodes of four television series on the same night. Wow. Allie McBeal, Ellen, Everybody Loves Raymond, and Murphy Brown. That's wild. Yeah. That dude worked. That's great. Yeah. He was also in the army during, well, I guess obviously because everyone was back then, but during World War II, he entertained troops sure. from the Pacific. Sure. He did stand up for a long time at like the Vanguard and the Blue, you know, all those uh, Greenwich Village, all yeah, those yeah, Greenwich yeah. Village clubs. That's so cool. And he died very alone. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen this at the end of an obituary, but it really killed me. It just, it's a lone sentence at the very bottom that just says, no immediate family members survive. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, he, he lived to 82, which is, a, you know, a nice long, not super long, but like sure. quite long. He was, he's sure. in Ghost. I don't know if you remember that scene. Ghost is probably where I know him best from. Yeah. Shot, huh? That'll do it every time. Poor bastard. Hey, you may as well get used to it. You could be here for a long while. Yeah, I'll tell you a secret. Doors ain't as bad as you think. Zips up. Ain't nothing at all. You'll see. You'll, you'll catch on. You guys look him up. He's so fun. And I sound yeah. like Paul. That's the thing. When I first saw this episode, God knows when, yeah. it was like, I could relate to Paul immediately. I was like, this is a great documentary. You'd watch that dude's face in a documentary? 100%. I'd probably flip it off. But <laughs> <laughs> I also don't know if I really would. <laughs> I like the idea of it. And I like his face. But uh, So like, he's telling stories, basically, right? It's like uh, he's telling stories in the documentary. Right. And Paul's sort of going on and on about how interesting and fascinating this guy is and just sharing little tidbits. Like, in 1960, wait for this, 1960, he and Yogi Berra went to see The Sound of Music together. I mean... And Jamie doesn't really react to any of this. She's working. Yeah, she's working. She's yeah. not listening. Yeah. But she says she is, as yes. couples do in sitcoms. Vacky also learned his New York accent from the big book of New York accents because oh, yeah. uh, when he talks about saying peanuts, he says, Get your peanuts here. Get your peanuts here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was the first. I mean, uh, a lot of guys said, uh, get your peanuts here, but I was the first to do it as one word. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the definitive New York accent. Like, we get it. You yeah. want us to know that you're from New York. We find out, though, that Paul, the reason Jamie's not listening is because she's prepping for a big meeting in big the morning. Meeting. A little more insight. This this whole episode, for those of you who have been wondering what she does, because mm -hmm. all we know is she sits in meetings at a PR firm. This episode is very enlightening. Yes, we both learn and don't learn what it is she does. Indeed. <laughs> so they set up pretty quickly that she's prepping for a big meeting, and Paul is waiting to find out if PBS will buy his new documentary about Vacky, the peanut vendor from Yankee Stadium. Right. He's betting a lot on this thing. If you sell a doc to PBS, as we all know, it'll take you to a whole new level. Of course it will. Which makes sense. That's, I guess that's like the marketplace for a documentarian who wants to go mainstream, right? It makes sense that you would make... Some money instead of no money. Oh, yeah. So PBS is doing the 70th anniversary of Yankee Stadium. 
so that he's like this is perfect it ties in it's a mm-hmm. not a lock but i don't know right he feels really good about it yeah and he's going on about the yankee stadium he's like yeah. the house that ruth built right and uh, yeah. uh jamie, jamie asks ruth who and he goes ruth gordon ruth gordon <laughs> which got a huge laugh huge pop from the audience so anyway it turns out pbs is doing this whole thing on the 70th anniversary of yankee stadium you know the, the house that ruth built ruth who Gordon. <laughs> Ruth Gordon built Yankee Stadium. Did you know who she was? I didn't, but it's, you know, there are some instincts where it's the same as when I would hear this when I was a kid. And I'd just be like, oh, the name Ruth Gordon is an old person. Oh, yeah. That, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's an onomatopoeic. Yeah. And that still happens. I have a supercomputer in my pocket all the time. And yet they say Ruth Gordon. I'm just like, must be an old person. <laughs> well, you were right. <laughs> All right, good. Her and her husband wrote a bunch of Hepburn Tracy flicks. Oh, cool. They wrote Adam's Rib. Interesting. Darling. Mm. Are you Are you alright? How do you mean? I mean in in health and so forth. Sure. Good. In health, excellent. And so forth, uh, What's that some some daiquiris? Oh, good. good. And she's in a bunch of movies. She's like, like a dynamo. Good for you, Ruth Gordon. I had no idea who she was. I had to look her up. So they're just basically the cold open is them going back and forth on this issue. And then the kettle goes off in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, Jamie's accusing Paul of not being considerate towards her. You're being incredibly self-involved. If I'm so self-involved, how come I'm making you a cup of tea? I don't want a cup of tea. Maybe I do. Must everything revolve around you? This is my least favorite cold open so far. This is my least favorite episode so far. Me too, and I don't know why. But at the same time, it almost made me cry. Yeah. There's some good moments, but this is my least favorite episode so far. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around it. Well, they're unhappy. They're, like, outwardly unhappy, kind of towards each other. And that hasn't really happened yet. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yes, I guess you're right. Eh, when you're right, you're right. John, I know I'm right. Uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so scene one. Paul talking to Murray. Yeah, Paul's talking to Murray literally moments really after the cold open. And he's just going on and on about... He's sort of talking up the human species while he makes a cup of tea. You know what I like about you, Murray? You listen. You, you pay attention. You know, you you care that I make documentaries, which is ironic, because that's, that's something your people can't even do. Because <laughs> you have no thumbs. Yeah, dogs suck. They don't have thumbs. Yeah, they can't make documentaries. Yeah, they sniff each other socially. That's all they do. Yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Also, though, we see that Murray's a good listener. That's true. (laughs) You know, what a juxtaposition. What a strong juxtaposition between Jamie, his wife, and Murray, his dog. Murray the dog, that's true. So then we cut back to Jamie, who's on the phone with her assistant, Rick. Rick, this is Jamie. I just realized you never gave me my media kit for the Computron pitch. So she's a PR pitchman who has a big pitching to a huge computer company tomorrow. And and presumably if she lands this pitch, it means a lot for her career, probably a promotion. Yes. Big promotion, big raise. Millions of of dollars, this account. Computron, Mm -hmm. are you kidding? In 1992? (laughs) Do the math. Oh, my goodness. 1992, they already have two computers in their apartment. Did you notice that? She has the laptop, but then they have a desktop in the corner. I didn't notice that, but that's... Wow. Do you know why you didn't notice that, Russ? Why? 
Because their apartment is the size of a palace. That's true. You can't keep... <laughs> I can't keep track of everything. It's insane. The apartment's so big, you can't fit it in one shot. Yeah, you you literally can't. Yeah. With three cameras, you With can't three... get it in one shot. Try again, Desi. <laughs> yeah, he never he never designed anything. He never anticipated an apartment this big in New York. Oh, why we need more cameras? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Boy, we, we got all the that. coverage we need. Yeah. <laughs> then we come back to Paul, and he's still talking to Murray about humans and dogs. Right. How much better right, humans right, right. are. Mm-hmm. Which, do you do that? Because I do that sometimes in my head, not out loud. What's that? Ta- uh, yell at animals for being stupid? Yeah. Probably. Or just lord it over them a little in my head, being like, ugh, you don't even know. Like, A, what you're missing out on. B, like, what, you know, you're still like a little baby. <laughs> sure. But the flip yeah, side of I'm that man. is yeah. when things go bad in reality, they don't know. Well, it depends. If it affects their food or... Uh, Think the, of all know. the dogs out there who don't know that David Bowie died. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a great point. I know. I'm very smart. No, but if he had <laughs> His a dog... Does. That's true. Yeah. Star dog. See, that's like Ruth Gordon where it's like, I know that that's like a David Bowie joke, but I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I should have gone with doggy stardust. There we go. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Still, honestly, don't know if that's an album, a song, or a band. <laughs> you know what? It is all three. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Yeah. There's an album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, in which he sings the song called Ziggy Stardust, which is a song about his alter ego, in which he performed as Ziggy Stardust. Oh, wow. I feel like a I won. You won. You did yeah. it. Nailed it. <laughs> Uh, so we cut back to Jamie from Paul talking to Murray, and now mm-hmm. her phone calls escalated to her screaming just at her yelling. assistant. I don't want to hear it, Rick. Just drag your disorganized butt out of bed and fax it to me right now. It must be late if he's asleep. Yeah, Jamie yells a lot in this episode. <laughs> yeah, we see work Jamie, who's a very assertive, tough, mm-hmm. no-nonsense. She gets it done. She's the yeah. boss. She's yeah. not bossy. She's the boss. Indeed. Love it. Paul comes out with two cups of tea. and She doesn't want it. Oh, no, wait. Before that, though, oh, this is what I loved. Because this show really tries to follow Newton's third law of motion, Russ. Interesting. I would say they really love to strike a balance, I feel like, you know? Like, so in the first scene, Paul's quizzing Jamie about what his documentary is about, right? Right. But at this moment, she calls him out on not knowing what she does. Right. It doesn't involve you directly. You're not interested. I'm not interested. You, how, I mean, how can you say that? Tell me the name of this account that I've been trying to nail for the last three months. What is this, a pop quiz? Tell me. <laughs> Must I constantly prove my love to you? What? You have no idea what I do. Well, I, I don't know you're in public relations. Which means I do what? It means you, you relate. <laughs> Publicly. <laughs> You're an embarrassment to husbands everywhere. Oh, like, like you really know what I do? I do. Oh, no, you think you do. You set a budget, book the cruise, scout locations, schedule edit time, rush a video master to your client moments before your deadline. Well, if I work so hard, what do you got to fight with me for? So she sort of has him, you know, backed right. into a corner. So then she goes to make coffee, and the second she's out of the room, Paul gives Mark a call. Mm-hmm. And 
any phone call to Mark and Fran's house is one of my favorite things oh, in the show. It's just the best. Because the their best. household is so funny. I don't know if the word Fran and in Richard Kind's voice fits so well. Mm-hmm. Fran! I, I'll bet you they, they knew they had Richard Kind, and then they were just like, so we've got a list of 20 potential names. I was thinking that, too. Could you just yell all of these names? Or he a- was, like, telling a story, and someone named Fran was in it, and they were like, yeah. boom. Boom, there we go, yeah. But we cut to their apartment, and Fran is cutting their kid Ryan's hair. Mm-hmm. And Mark, <laughs> at the kitchen counter, they have, like, a island or something. Right. And Mark has a dirt devil little handy back, and he's vacuuming up oh the hair God. as she cuts it. Oh, my Which God. Which is so neurotic. Like, I can't, but also, I get it, but ay yeah. ay These two, like... And we meet their kid, Ryan, right? Did yeah. we meet him before? We did not. I don't even know if we heard about him before. His name's Spencer Klein. To the point where when I saw the kid, I was just like, who the hell is that? I'll tell you. That Please. kid? Mm-hmm. Voice of Hey Arnold. Really? Indeed. Holy moly. Yeah. Good for you, kid. Football head. Get that Hey Arnold money. Oh, yeah. He's 30 now. He's probably loaded. I'll give him He's a dad age. He is dad age. Also, his pajamas in this scene are insane. There's a lot of costuming choices in this episode. With I which guess so. Yeah. I take issue. Um, <laughs> so Mark, excited about his kid, I guess, puts him on the phone. Right. Immediately. So Paul has to deal with Ryan now. And Ryan's just going on and on. Bert and Ernie bought him a, caught a mosquito. <laughs> Mommy made cereal, which is so funny. Yeah. Oh, she's a real culinary master or yeah. something like that, Paul says. <laughs> and then to top it all off, Mark asks Ryan to, quote, do your song. Do your song. Do your song. Do you know the Muffin Man? Muffin okay, no, man, no song. Ryan. Man, you know Ryan, I'll, I'll give you $1,000 to put your daddy on. Ryan. Ryan, the Muffin Man's dead. <laughs> What's the matter with Ryan? I, I don't know. He just started crying. You really, you should, you should have that checked. Listen, I got a quick question for you. When, when Fran had Jamie's job, what did she do? Same thing that Jamie does. S- specifically. I don't know. I never asked her. Paul makes a kid cry, and then Paul puts it to Mark. Find out what Fran did, and well, he doesn't yeah. know either. So that's a he new reveal, right? Yeah. Apparently, Fran had Jamie's job. Yes. So then I wondered, when did Fran leave? Did she leave like when she had Ryan? I'm not sure. I I don't know either. Jamie was Fran's assistant. Right. And then I guess Jamie took Fran's job over. Yes. Much like Randy Daniels would have if he uh, hadn't been a jerk. Randy Daniels or Randy Danielson? (laughs) It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We also find, so she works at a firm called Farrar Gantz. Yes, I took note of that as well. Yeah. Fran! And don't tell her it's for me. But th- this is so out of the blue. She's going to be suspicious. You and Jamie having a fight? Because I, I know th- th- this whole it's going to escalate, and then I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> You're not going to get in trouble. Just ask her. All right, all right. Fran! Yes! Why does Jamie do it for our Gantz? Why? In, you know, in case it ever comes up. Same thing I used to do. Same thing that Fran used to do. The whole, the, everything that he knew would happen, happened. <laughs> yes. 
and it's and so satisfying and it starts to build to a fight that we don't quite see his delivery is so great where it's just like who are you talking to nobody is that paul no <laughs> who is it paul <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's great then this part bothered me for some reason let me let me talk to ryan Ryan, I suggest you run away as soon as possible. Well, they needed a button for the scene. They I guess to get they the needed commercial. a button. Yeah, but that it's like, yeah, uh, uh, you know, yeah. just because the show's been so realistic so far. I agree, but I'll adjust. I, yeah, because what's he gonna say then? He's gonna be like, "Good, I said that thing to you, kid." Okay, now could you put your dad back on the phone? <laughs> yeah, <fuck?"> right. <laughs> Uh, and then the kid goes and packs. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, though. That button gets us to commercial. And mm-hmm. when we come back, we are back at Paul Buckman's movies production studio, the size of Xanadu. Buckman Studios? Or yeah. whatever the hell it is. Isn't that is funny, Buckman too? Studios? Just, uh. Well, we'll get to it. His assistant, Stacy, sort of seems to play that game a lot. That's true. So it's hard to say if that was real or not. That's true. But the second we come back from commercial, we see Paul at work, but he's on the phone with Rick now. Right. Trying to get him to tell him what Jamie does. Come on, Rick, you're my wife's assistant, so that makes you my assistant-in-law. Come on, come on, work with me on this. You gotta know the name of the account. We learned it in the last scene, but I was like, wow, Jamie has an assistant. That's something. She's already an executive, it sounds like, and now she has a a chance to move even higher. She's a big, big deal over there. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, Russ, but I think she has partner written all over her. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If she plays her cards right. We'll see. We could be talking partner. Farrar, Gantz, and Buckman. Or Stumble. I don't know. (laughs) The finding out is is all the fun. (laughs) We also learned that Rick is enormous. What do you mean you can't release that kind of info? I'm going to go up there. I'm going to hit this guy. (laughs) How big are you? Really? All right, Rick. Well, listen, thanks. So he must be an, he must be like six He's six or dude. something. Well, yeah, which is also funny to picture an enormous assistant next to Helen Hunt. Yes, <laughs> I don't think we ever get to see it. That's one of those subtextual jokes that really hits in your mind's eye. Mm, you can see it even though you don't see it. <laughs> and then Art comes back in. Welcome back, Art. We all know what's coming out of his mouth. You know that's the same mistake Orson Welles made with Rita Hayworth. He didn't take an interest. So now you're going to tell me you knew Orson Welles? As much as any man could. (laughs) I remember saying to him, Orson, a marriage is more important than a montage. Rita's needy and she's getting restless. So what, you you know everything that your wife does at work, right? Well, I know enough to fake it. You don't even know that much. He's smart enough, rather, to say, I knew enough to fake knowledge about my wife's job. Yeah, right. Like, Which also made me funny. He talked about it in past tense. Like it sounded like maybe he was a, a widower. Maybe that's a thing that uh, could happen for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It sounded like a past tense kind of thing, sort of. I don't know if you know what happened. Well, I don't even know if I know what happened. But I found a New York Times article about Orson Welles and Rita Hayworth because a new biography of hers came out. No, not recently at all. Almost thirty years ago. <laughs> oh yeah. But the the little spiel is when he saw the famous life pinup photograph of her, 
you know, she was a pinup girl yeah. from the 40s. He decided to marry her, and he married her in 43, and later directed her in a movie called The Lady from Shanghai. However, the real Hayworth's emotional needs made Wells uncomfortable, and he cheated on her regularly with prostitutes and with other actresses, including Judy Garland. What a good dude. Yeah, great guy. I love him. Mm. Oh, man. I mean, that's so messed up, just in general. And also, I love the ego of people where it's just like, I saw a picture of her and decided to marry her. Sure, right. Well, I mean, that's the that's the distilled biography version. Sure, but then he did, so it's that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he decided to marry her, but then went about living his normal life like everybody else who wants to marry a superstar. No, that he is, did that. <laughs> that is true. Oh, man. You want to cue up the end of the film? Oh, no. oh. Just one more time for fun. Humor me. George Steinbrenner. Bless his heart. For my 50th anniversary with the New York Yankees, he gave me this uh, brand new Toyota Camerari there. It's standing right over there. You see the license plate? Nuts. One. What a guy. I still say we should have cut it. I mean, why should we spread rumors that George Steinbrenner's a nice guy? Was Steinbrenner, because you're a baseball guy. Yeah. Has he always been uh, disliked, or was he yes. going through it? Uh, okay. No, 100% of the time. Ah, uh, and why? He fired managers constantly. He's the owner of the team, right? So I know that. And, yeah, so the buck stops with him. But most owners I know it are from the quiet. apprentice. Oh no, Seinfeld, Seinfeld. Yeah. Most owners are quiet yes. and do things behind the scenes. Right. He, if a team was doing poorly, he would call the dugout and say, switch pitchers or Wow. Sit this guy. He fired a guy named oh. Billy Martin, I think, yeah. four times. They, he oh fired and rehired him. He'd insult his players personally. Oh, he's a lunatic. He picked favorites. He sank. You know how now baseball players make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars when they're free agents? You know what a free agent is? Of course I know what a free agent is, Russ. Hey, that's okay. It's a guy so, between gigs, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to describe it. He, because he was so rich and wanted to win at all costs, if people were, he drove up the free agency market, the free agent market. So like if two teams were like, let's say, for instance, if they were like, well, we'll give you a three year contract for $5 million. And another team is like, we'll give you a four year contract for $6 million. He'd be like 10 years, 15 million. Oh, wow. Is he allowed to do that? He could do whatever he wants. Right. And that's how the Yankees stacked their teams. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why they are hated and also because they win all the time. So it just wasn't done and he did it. And he did it. And then it became, well, we got to compete with the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. We have to do that. So the way the free agency is handled changed. The way the game is played changed. So he's an important guy. Everybody hated him while he was alive, and then he died, and people softened on him. And also, he got sick. He had dementia oh, towards the man. end. And so people softened. But, sure. uh, you know, he's a huge personality. The bit on Seinfeld is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. That's all I knew about him. Yeah, but yeah, he's a uh, thumbs down for Steinbrenner in general. But I'm a Mets fan, so I'm biased. Absolutely. So then Stacy comes over. And Paul asks her what she thinks. 
And we get a little vaudeville routine going. Stace, what do you think? You really want to know? No, go ahead. I think you're a lousy husband. About the film. Oh, I think you sold out. Go back to the marriage thing. So then the phone rings, and mm-hmm. we hear Stacy answer, Hello, Buckman Films. Which sounds like through both of us a little initially. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we were like, excuse me? Yeah. Also, he seems extremely successful already. You know what I yes. mean? They, they are doing just fine. Just. I mean, he has like a supercomputer behind him. Yeah. In his office. Yeah. It's crazy. He's got a pretty sweet rig. Yeah. So it's PBS on the phone. Mm-hmm. And she starts, she goes into this whole routine where she's trying to make it sound like a real busy Hollywood Mm -hmm. office. Hello, Buckman Films. It's PBS. I'm sorry, he's on the other line with the coast right now, mate. Go go help somebody else's career. (laughs) Al, how you doing? Scorsese's holding on line three. And uh, Paul takes the call. and And they turn him down. They turn him down. And... You know, she says... You know what PBS stands for. Pretentious, boring snobs. Yeah, there's just some corny jokes in this episode that are a little, yeah. just, just a little cornier than the other one. So we go to the living room later. Scene three. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the workday. Paul is prepping for... Yes, he's dripping with preparation. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> that popular for phrase. For both situations. Yes. Again, he's telling Murray his whole plan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It really is a show about Paul and Murray. Well, I'll get to that later. But he's got the <laughs> flowers and champagne if she gets it. Mm-hmm. And he's got Maalox, Tylenol, and Hagen does if she mm-hmm. doesn't. And the Hagen does can go either way. Well, yes. And also, a very clever bit. funny to me, he just, the Hagen does, I don't know if it ever in the episode manages to find its way to the freezer. No, they've got a thing of melted ice cream. Yeah, it's just like a perpetually frozen. <laughs> Right after he sets all that up, Jamie right. comes in. Yeah, so the flowers he bought her is like a little, sh- you know, schmanta bouquet, you know? Right. And she comes in with a bouquet the size of, like, their apartment. It, yeah. And freaks out. I did it. I won! I won! I won! <laughs> so, uh, did, you, did you get the account? So it's like in my mental uh, web internet, you know? Like, this is a GIF that's floating around a lot. Yeah. Of her coming oh, in and going, I won, I won, I won. Not for me. I don't know why, but somehow I was just, maybe it was because it got repeated so many times. I mean, uh, yeah, that could be. I mean, it is a little harsh. It's a, yes. Uh, so she comes in, he comes over to her, and, they, you know, obviously she got it. He congratulates her and gives her his little bouquet. <laughs> right. And she, she thanks says, him. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, and it's like literally one twentieth of the size of her bouquet. But he's got this great little mopey quality. Yeah. Where it's he's like, it's, sad. Yeah. yeah, he's just kind of sad. Mm-hmm. And she asked how his day was, obviously asking about PBS. All right, enough about me. I won, I won, I won! <laughs> okay, how was your day? Ah, ah. I had a really nice Reuben sandwich for lunch. <laughs> lean, very lean. Did you hear from PBS? Yeah, they passed. Well, let me tell you about this Reuben. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, it happened. So you pulled it off. That's so great. Tell me everything. Oh, it's just an account, really. Tell me about your Reuben. She doesn't want to be too happy, and he doesn't want to be too sad. Yeah. They're both considering the other person. 
right. It's coming from a nice place. Yes. But it ends and up if, getting them in trouble. Well, yes. I think, I'd like to think that if Fran and Mark didn't show up exactly when they did in that next moment, they would have had an additional five sentence exchange and gotten it all out there. You know? He That's would have been interesting. He would have been like, uh, you know, it stinks. I'm really happy for you. I'm just kind of sad. And she's like, I'm sorry you're sad. I get it. That stinks. I understand that you're sad. I'm really happy. And and he would have been like, I'm happy for you. And they would have hugged, and then everything would have been fine. That is true. What happens next does, it magnifies both of their situations. Mm-hmm. Because Mark and Fran show up. And they have a loud off with Jamie. <laughs> yes. Now three people are freaking out about how she won. Mm-hmm. And Mark in this line is oh so, it's one of those moments where I'm like, I don't even know where Richard Kind ends and Mark Devenow begins. Because <laughs> he just, in the middle of the chaos, screams. Just remember, we know your way. She's a mogul. They also, they enter with two enormous shopping bags from Zabar's and Richard yep. Kind's holding a platter. Mm-hmm. Of they brought a food. lot of food. They brought a lot of food. They're having mm-hmm. a party. Yes. So they come in and, they, and Fran starts setting up on the kitchen table and Mark goes on a little excited, celebratory rant. I am so proud of you. This is so fantastic. I mean, the thing is, is that Fran spent three years trying to land that account. Three years and nothing. And then, boom, Jamie walks us in and bingo. And I mean, the, the ironic thing is, is that Jamie starts out as Fran's assistant. And then all Sucky, of a give me a drink. What do you feel like? Anything. Just go. Snooky's in trouble. Not if I get the drink right. I will tell you, when he comes back... It with pays the drink, off dramatically. And she doesn't even look and just says, Here you go, sweetheart. How's this? Wrong. <laughs> That's amazingly funny. Yeah. So Paul's moping. Mark's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Fran's unpacking and excited. Jamie's excited. And then Lisa runs in. Lisa runs screaming. in. More screaming. So now there's four of them screaming and celebrating around a mopey Paul. Right. And Paul comes back in. Lisa goes over to comfort Paul through his depression. Yes. And of course, Lisa gives him the worst pep talk. She's more about empathy. I've been Yeah. Like, I get it. I get it. Except, yeah, whereas Lisa is clinically depressed, Paul's just having a rough day. What's with you? Nothing. PBS passed on my phone. Oh, God. It's terrible. I, I, I had my hopes up. Always a mistake. Uh, now I'm depressed. Welcome to my world, Paul. How do you like it? Not so much. But it's all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce back. No, you won't. <laughs> Not at first. No, I'm, I'm saying eventually. No, no. First, you start to obsess. Okay? And then the more you obsess, the more you relive it until one day you wake up, you realize you haven't been out of bed in a month. Oh, God. I have so much pain inside me that I can cry at will. You're in therapy, right? Oh, yeah. 
That is an insensitive punchline, Paul. Yeah, there's just a lot of punchlines in this one that don't feel as realistic. That's yeah. all. That's okay. I mean, which is fine. It's just, you know, yeah. it's a... It's 164 episodes long. Yeah, exactly. And I still love this episode. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. So we blow into scene four, which right. has Paul in the kitchen, quote, crushing ice. He just has a freezer bag full of ice, and he keeps picking it up and dropping it on the counter. He's making crushed ice for the party from scratch, as he puts it. Yeah, also a very old schmaltzy joke, which I love, mm. though. I love yeah, those kinds great. of jokes. And this I show's wrote it down. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And Jamie comes in, and he's being, you know, he's now he's being like the loner mopey guy. Right. He's being a big moped, basically, most of the episode. It is, yes. We are starting to see the tides turn between, oh, poor Paul, to just be like, come on, dude. Yeah, get, like get celebrate for your, yeah, right, yeah. grow up. So Jamie comes in, and he's telling her to go back to the party, and she's trying to talk it down and say it's not a party. She goes, it's not a party. When Mark bursts in singing a made-up limbo song. Honey, come join us. I'm fine. You should go back to the party. It's not a party. Limbo, where's the broom? Limbo, there's the broom. How low can you go? How low can you go? Absurd. Very silly. Uh, and Jamie uh, has a gift so, for him. Yeah. To, and she goes, when she gives it to him, she says, I got you a gift to celebrate our success. Yes. Which is so sweet, really. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah. And it's a Yankee program from the 1956 World Series mm-hmm. that was autographed, no less. Wow. <laughs> a Yankee program. From the 1956 World Series. It's autographed. No kidding. <laughs> Best wishes, Ethel Merman. <laughs> what a beautiful turn. I'd be way more thrilled with the Ethel Merman autograph than I would with the, the Yankee program. <laughs> That's hard to believe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, because you're such a diehard Mets fan? Yeah, screw the Yankees. I'm Even the it. legends? I can respect them. Wow. <laughs> but I don't have to like them. I don't like them. Uh, fair enough. I acknowledge uh, that what they did was important. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul does not take this gift well. Right. Because it reminds him of his failure. That's great. What? No, it, no it's nothing. It's, it's what? Tell me. Nothing. I, it's just... It's every time I look at that now, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reminded of my failure. Why can't you let it remind you of my success? Because your success reminds me of my failure. You're welcome. Ooh, yeah, this Ooh. fight is very quiet and very upsetting. Yes. They, they are... You remember the line from episode one where they're like, maybe you could chip some ice off my wife's mood? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a, a minute-long scene of that. Yeah. She calls him a sulky, whiny baby. Look, I know you didn't mean to be insensitive. And I know but... you didn't mean to be a sulky, whiny baby. Yeah, it's rough. And Selby enters. <laughs> hey, Selby. Says... There's a gynecologist limboing in your living room. <laughs> Selby, has... this is my favorite Selby moment yet. Absolutely. Jamie tells him the news and Selby, because I've already moved, like so much has happened that I sort of forgot that Paul didn't know what Jamie did. Right. And just Selby comes out immediately. She's like, I got the thing. I got the deal. And Selby's like, we're celebrating. I got that big account I was working on. Computron? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dimple. 
come you didn't tell me about this? How big a bonus are we talking here? Big. Uh, that made me laugh real hard out loud. Really funny Selby moment. And then Paul is an even bigger baby. Hey, Selby, did I mention on the phone to you that PBS passed on my film and I'm having a sucky day? Yeah. I can't have you being happy for my wife for a second. Yeah. Ugh. Real jerk. Yeah, real Paul's jerk. becoming a real jerk in this episode. John, the time has come for me to talk about the fact that Mark is wearing a purple paisley shirt and a blue paisley tie. Are you doing an ad right now? Because uh, <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Hi, this is Russ Fader. This is for, for Bonobos. For don't wear two different kinds <laughs> Too of much paisley. Yeah. He is. I thought it looked kind of good, weirdly. You thought wrong. wrong. Absolutely. It is the craziest thing. You know, they say don't clash prints. Don't mix prints. Yes, and clashing prints is very... This is that a lot. Yeah, you're playing with fire when you clash prints. Experts can clash prints. And Richard Kind is no expert. Like Carson from Queer Eye can clash prints. Absolutely. Also, great up-to-date reference. <laughs> Thank you. That's my go-to fashion reference. <laughs> From 2003. <laughs> yeah, so he's wearing Paisley. It's later that night. We're in the living room, and the party's in full swing. Mm -hmm. The girls and Selby are sitting around the coffee table drinking and eating cheese and talking. Right. And Mark and Paul are just over by the stereo, right. sort of upstage in their own little bubble. And Paul says at one point, he says, you know, Mark, you're my only friend. You know, Mark, you're my only friend. Really? <laughs> Want to have lunch tomorrow? <laughs> I, I had a big Reuben sandwich today, and I'm going to save it that for a while. I understand. How, how about dinner? I mean, it's so uncomfortable. Mark thinks Paul is so cool. Yeah. Also. And, and he gets nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like for him. We also, I don't know if these were coming back then, or if this is the first recorded one, but like we get a, uh, Mark sort of goes on a little tear about how crummy PBS is, you yeah. know, for passing on his uh, documentary. No, no explanation. They just said, sorry, it's, it's, it's not for us. You know what I say? I say the hell with PBS. Yeah, they can forget about my pledge next year. Let them keep their lousy tote bag. Well, it's just like a reference to the PBS tote bag. I, you know, I feel like that's sort of a common right now, and I don't know if it was back then. I love a tote bag joke. I think that joke was way ahead of its time, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Selby doesn't know what the Russian tea room is. Which, again, was a little much for me. Oh, yeah. You know, we should really go out and celebrate tomorrow. How about lunch? The Russian tea room? Well, I don't want to have tea for lunch. <laughs> they have food, Selby. Yeah, it's a big, fancy restaurant. Got to wear a tie? They'll give you one. Cool. <laughs> I feel like Selby would know what the Russian tea room is. He'd know of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right? It's famous. Yeah. And even if he doesn't, it's not that funny of a joke. Like you said, though, it's a hundred and whatever. It's a, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, you gotta write a lot. Sure, sure. It's crazy. This turns into a full-fledged pity party. Yes. First, Paul puts the doc on for Mark. Mm-hmm. Then Mark calls Fran over to watch it. I love... And I don't actually love this, but whenever there's a documentary or, or a filmmaker, they always talk about, oh, look at the shadows. Fran! Fran, come, come over here. Take a look at this. See, look, you see the way the shadows, they fall across left field like that? It's a nebulous term that a writer can write. Well, that... <laughs> no, but it's an evocative 
You couldn't picture it when he said you just you see how the shadows fall across left field? Sure. I could see the shot in my head. Well, you know what then? Then I'm wrong. I'm just a jerk. I'm jaded. Yes. All three of those things I think are true. <laughs> so Fran calls Selby over to watch the doc. Right. So now it just leaves Lisa and Jamie around the table at the party mm-hmm. and a much bigger pity party happening upstage by the TV. Right. And then Fran calls Lisa over by saying, Paul's sad. Yeah. He's like, like, so? Yeah, right. And when Mark is ranting. Yeah. Like, this whole scene is Mark's, like, just kind of going in and out of, like, rants about PBS. Yeah. I I can't believe that they they pass up Vacky for Alistair Cook. Like, anybody watches that British malarkey. Lousy sconeheads. Masterpiece Theater, right? Yeah, Masterpiece Theater. He was the host. I'll tell you how I know that. Because of Monsterpiece Theater with Alastair Cookie from Sesame oh, Street. Oh, very clever. Mm-hmm. They're good at what they do. Yeah, I think I'd like to. Did you hear uh, Bert and Ernie caught a mosquito today? I did hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact, Alastair Cook, since we, from time to time, we'll talk about old theater troupe uh, trivia mm-hmm. <laughs> on the show. Sure. He created the first mixed sex theater group at Cambridge. Really? Yeah. That's kind of genuinely very interesting. I it did is. not know that. Yeah. This and he famously gr- told the actor James Mason to stick to architecture. Uh, this is a great podcast we do, John. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> So, uh, so, so Jamie Mark says leaves. nobody ever gets what they. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm not skipping that part. Say it again. Mark, just sort of at the tail of his rant, just says, "Life is so unfair." Nobody ever gets what they deserve. I do. <laughs> that's great. It's really, really good. That's a really great bit. It's dark. Yeah. What struck me about this episode is I just I feel like. Everyone is on an island in this one. Yes. Like, That's it's sort of sad in that way. Like, everyone's just very detached for a chance. Like, Mark's in trouble. Fran's in, yeah. like, mad. Lisa's really, like, Out in there. turmoil yeah, right now. Yeah. And Paul and Murray are their own little thing. And then Jamie's sort of celebrating. All, like, everyone sort of splits up in the episode and then slowly kind of comes back together. Yeah. That being said, yeah, so Jamie leaves. Yeah, just quietly sneaks unannounced. out the door. Oh, because she had such a great idea. You guys, I have a great idea. Let's jump in a couple of cabs and go christen my new office. The view at night is amazing. That's fun. Yeah. And And that's uh, something you would remember for the rest of your career there. You would. You would. Like, it would be uh, so fun to do. Yeah. That would be really fun. Like, it's sad to me that they didn't get to do it. Yeah. So she goes, Sorry. John, what can I do? Nothing. Oh, man. If you think of something, let me know. (laughs) <laughs> so i guess we go to commercial then we come back and it's later that night and jamie's mm-hmm. coming home mm-hmm. and paul's asleep on the love seat uh, helen hunt plays pissed off very well i love the way she is she pissed off in this i think the early part where she's just like went up to my new office how was it big and empty how was your defeat party? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Where she's like, she's hurt and she's angry. And she's just that kind of thing where she's just like, I have to say a few things 
Yeah, and it's so understated too. I have to, yeah, I have to get a few things off my chest, right? So that you know that I am mad, but I also don't want to make this a big thing and hurt you, right? Yeah, but I want you to know I'm here. Yeah, she's like an emotional surgeon. Yes, and Selby left. Selby's gone. Fran lectured. Mm-hmm. Lisa binged and moaned. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Paul's doing Sunday. Sunday. Ask me what I'm doing. I have to play golf with Mark and two obstetricians. See? God punished you. He always has Sunday plans. Yeah. And so for his choice, it was the Jets game. Yeah, he's a popular guy. He's got stuff to do. Yeah, he's a popular guy. He's got a lot of good friends. So Paul starts apologizing, yeah. Yeah, but like really apologizing. Yeah. And And he's like, you should have just left me. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have come back today. He He gets it. That this was a big deal for her and that he moped his way through it. All right, I deserved it. I was unsupportive and selfish. And you reward this kind of behavior? What do you think I was doing all day? Sitting in my office wondering if PBS was going to buy your peanut movie? Yeah, it's not the same, no. I mean, if, if I were you, I wouldn't have come back tonight. Oh, come on. I'm serious. You, you should have just left me. Stop it. I mean, I took I took a glorious day in your life, and I shattered it. Yes, you did. I mean, that's that's worse than than if, if I were having an affair. To me, it's not. <laughs> but one thing that I noted uh, that they did in this was he was kind of ranting and beating himself up, and she shuts him up with a kiss. Yeah. Which felt like the pilot. Where she's panicking. Yep, that's exactly yeah. what I was yeah. going to say. She's panicking. and he, Exactly. Yeah. Really nice. They apolo- They love shutting each other up <laughs> with kisses. They apologize believably on this show. So believably that I felt it and it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, those were some of the most sincere... Those were more sincere apologies than, like, I've seen in real life. Yeah. Their writers do a really good job. But, like, I feel like they come up with the next to last lines of the episode first and then write backwards uh what a great question for an interview yeah so here you get you know when i was single i got to be happy whenever i was happy and i guess now i only get to be happy during that subset of times when you're happy too i'm always happy with you even when i'm miserable yeah i feel like they could have written that and then been like so what episode is that what happens right 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 once they get through all the apologies, Jamie does the like perfect little. She ties up the argument with a bow and asks to see his film. Right, very cute. Ugh. And then they, oh, I wish that the episode ended there. Oh, you hate the button, don't you? I was on the fence. Here's what I would have loved: the part where they just show, you know, Vacky saying he married is what? What was the line? So they turn uh, on. So Lou Gehrig, Jamie. Yeah. Ask Paul if she can see his film. You want to show me your film? Stop. I've seen it a million times. I know, and I love it, especially the ending. I changed the ending. Well, let me show you. <laughs> Lou Gehrig's wife came to every game. He was the luckiest man on the face of the earth. It's like, good. Got it. And There's even some that's a little. It's clear. It's kind of on the nose, but yeah. but we're able to connect those dots. And then we and cut then, to an exterior of their apartment building. Oh, uh, I'm so mad right now. And we <laughs> hear Paul say to Jamie, "Nah, the second luckiest." 
Oh god. Can we see the light in their apartment go off? Oh. Schmaltz. Yeah. Schmaltzy. Yeah. Well, I was imagining him in a booth recording different versions of Not the Luckiest. Oh yeah, it is clearly ADR'd. Well, of course. I mean, he's not they're clearly not dangling him on the outside of that building. <laughs> Here's a question I have for the production team. Did they know that one day they would need a shot of the light in their apartment going off? So when they shot the B-roll <laughs> for the pilots, very good question. they said, you know what? We should get one with the lights going on and with the lights going off. <laughs> Just in case. I'll bet they did. Maybe, right? i bet they did. Because that's yeah. crazy. Or they might have sent a team back just to shoot that. I don't know. Yeah. We, we need a light going off. So they went up to that people's apartment, knocked on the door, said, hi, we're here from NBC. <laughs> Would it be can possible you, <laughs> yeah. can for you us count, to hang out here till night? Can you count to 45 and then turn your light off? <laughs> <laughs> and sign this release <laughs> I don't know I also noticed that there's very few window units in that apartment you're very astute I love that maybe because it's winter because they're all wearing coats could but, be uh, they're probably it's probably not seasonal well what I'm wondering now is <laughs> when we get to the summer episodes do more air conditioning <laughs> units appear in the windows Let's see. And if so, what happens when you turn off a light in that room? <laughs> a fuse blows. The whole building goes up. <laughs> so then we we just see the tag of the episode, and it's the first one that doesn't have any jokes or dialogue. It's just yeah. more footage of Phil Leeds playing this character, Vacky, and talking under the music. Yeah, they really did think that he was more compelling than he actually is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh come on oh be nice oh you're a monster <laughs> i love phil oh, Leeds. me too rest easy sir well done mm. so yeah a good episode not my favorite episode yeah it's but... weird to get to one of those yeah i feel guilty i kind of do too right i feel because i just want everyone to know i love this show <laughs> And I, I understand it's very hard to make tell. Like, this show is exceptional. So, you know. Oh, my God. This is just a little dumb opinion. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean you. anything. It's just how I felt when I watched it this time, okay? You know what? Forget I said anything. Yeah. This is great. It's all great. I love it all. It's all the best. Yeah, delete this episode. <laughs> well, that's it. That is our recap of episode six. Dunzo. I'm just so happy for you. I'm just so happy <laughs> for you. What's doing? Well, yeah, I've got yeah. shows with the commotion. The commotion. Tuesday nights. Come on out. Our social media presence is up and running. And it's a buzz. People are now officially listening to this show. Yeah, it's so fun which, to talk to yeah, all of you on there. It's great. It's been really nice. Thank you for participating. Yeah. You know, if you haven't yet rated and reviewed us on itunes if you could that would be really really great it takes a very short period of time and it would help more people find out about the show it would be and, fantastic uh, fantastic Much um, so if you could do that it would be great and yeah find us on facebook we're at mad about you pod on twitter we want to talk to you there lots of good stuff if you want to watch along with us we would love that 
unfortunately, this show is not streaming. So tweet at Netflix and tell them to stream Mad About You. And until they do that, you can buy the box set on DVD from Amazon for less than 30 bucks, which is a really great deal. I know the concept of spending money on entertainment seems crazy. Well, it's three months of Netflix. It's not that crazy. You know what? That's true. We pay for it. We just don't think about it. You are blowing my mind. We just put a bunch of people's hands in our pockets every <laughs> month and we don't even, we're not even conscious of it. You're right. Yeah. You're starting a revolution right here and right now. Yeah. So yeah, go support your local small Amazon. business, Amazon. Your, your local Amazon.com. Yeah. And pick up Mad About You, the complete set. I mean, set. 30 and bucks frankly, is insane for a full series. Get out of here. Yeah. And if you only want to listen to us for a few months, you can get seasons one and two for $8, less than $8. Yeah, but okay, sure. But I think that's like a waste. Like, just buy the whole thing. I would say buy the whole thing, too. But if times are tight. I do get that. that that's fair. That's fair. Great. So, yeah, come see the commotion. But I would Magnet almost say if times are tight... Wait a few extra weeks and get the remaining money you need to spend the $30 versus blowing 8 or 10 bucks on the first two seasons. John, I'm not going to tell these people how to spend or save their money. I, 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 it's not, they're I not am. orders, it's you advice, say. it's <laughs> advice, it's a little advice. Take it, or, hey, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Our theme music is by the wonderful John D. Ivey. Our logo is by Nathan Diffie. Thanks to both of them, the best in the biz. John, are you good? I'm great. Great. I'm also great. I'm just so happy for you. Oh, it cuts. It cuts to the quick. (laughs) My name is Russ Fader. And I'm John Marvely. And And this is what we're saying. saying.